welcome to Rome Cuny Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. Uh, we are in Acts 28, last chapter of book, the book of Acts that we get to uh, look at today. Uh, just a reminder, next week we'll be starting the book of Jonah. Those scripture journal Bibles that we had, um, we ran out right away uh, for first service, so I did order more. So if you didn't get one, uh, we'll have them for next week. They should be here by then. Um, but I did order more just in case for those that didn't get one but wanted one. Um, also, we have communion today. So if you didn't uh, pick up the elements on your way in, don't worry. We'll pass them out towards the end of service. Uh, and that way you could have them and partake, partake with us together. Um, so, yeah. I think we're ready. Surreal. We're finishing Acts. Let's pray. God, we thank you that um, here we are. We get to just come to the last chapter of the book of Acts, but the reality is uh, that what Acts points to, the gospel going out to the ends of the earth, is not done. It's not over. Lord, there's still work to be done. People that need to hear the gospel people, groups who have never heard the gospel. And Lord, put that within our heart, Lord, that this is not done, but yet we're excited that You've called us to be used in such a way for Your glory. Lord, we humble ourselves as we approach Your Word right now. Uh, we do ask, as the Holy Spirit brings it to our minds and our attention, Lord, that it's not just something we read, but yet we know that it's life-transforming power that comes from Your Word that the Holy Spirit would bring it to life, that we'd not just be hearers of Your Word, but we'd want to be doers of Your Word. And in the book of Acts, we see that, that we're called to be witnesses and to make disciples. Would you be glorified today? Uh, thank you again that we get to come together. Thank you for the local body that we get to be together, to encourage one another, to praise You, God. And we ask right now that You, as You're with us, You'd be most glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope you guys are enjoying the weather <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I do felt like there was glimpses of spring, like it does exist. Uh, and one thing, though, that I've still am learning, and I don't know if I will ever quite grasp, is how fast things grow here. You can mow your yard, and then three days later, you feel like you have to mow your yard again. I don't know if you feel like that's a bad thing. Actually, I'll be honest. I don't mind mowing the yard. One is because where I grew up, you didn't have a sit-down lawnmower because your lawn wasn't that big. But here it's actually kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to use the word relaxing, but it's something that I enjoy that I get to have with my thoughts and, and kind of just do it. I also love the fact that I get to raise my sons and I'm like, guess what you're doing? You're mowing the yard. Uh, <laughs> so maybe that's why I enjoy it because they get to do it and I just get to do other things while they're outside we're working together. But... Um, it's funny, my son Jude, who's been kind of, I've been having him do it, and we're working together, and he'll mow the yard, and then I'll say a couple days later, Jude, you need a, um, it's time to mow the yard again. And he kind of says, didn't we just do that? And I said, yes, but it's not done. It's ongoing. That's kind of with the book of Acts, that it's ongoing. Now, maybe mowing the yard seems like a negative to you. You're like, man, that sounds like torture to have to do that all the time. Let me change it in a different way. 
we were at Disneyland on one of our trips when we were, uh, with, with the kids and stuff, and there's a ride that's called Toy Story Mania, Midway Mania, and basically it's like about story, Toy Story, but we happened to know the worker that was getting everyone in the ride, like uh, sitting them in the, the cart that you get to be in. And so we're talking, she was the junior hire that was under me in ministry, so it was kind of nice, like, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. Anyway, so we get through it, and she's like, hey, do you guys want to do it again? And we're like, wait, it's not over? We could do it again? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, of course. I don't want to wait in line for 45 minutes again. Let's do this. And it was one of those things where it was nice that because it wasn't over. Well, the work that happens in the book of Acts, we come to the last chapter, but I need to tell you, it's not over. Actually, as you read how it concludes, how Luke concludes this book, it's almost open-ended, kind of. He kind of like allows us to think, like, well, what's going on now? Like, it's not ended. It's like a movie that knows that there's going to be another one coming. It's like the sequel's coming, and so it's open-ended. It's like that, but it's because it's intentional to say, we're in the book of Acts still. Remember what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's talking to the disciples uh, as Jesus is ascending to heaven. He tells them this, and he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, the gospel still needs to go out to the ends of the earth. The believer has received the Holy Spirit. We've received power. And still, it's not over. And I hope it doesn't become drudgery to you like, oh, there's still work to be done. Oh, i got to mow the lawn again. But yet, you'd be like, wait, I get to do this again. One more ride. I get to be used. What an exciting thing that the Lord uses us in such a way that we, he, he doesn't need us, but yet He allows us to be used. Did you know today is Pentecost Sunday? How fitting. I wish I could say I was so intentional in wrapping up on Pentecost Sunday as we started, but it's just as it is. I'm like, Lord, thank You. You're so good because it was on Pentecost Sunday that the early church received the Holy Spirit. And in, in a way, they say like that's the birth of the church. But what a great thing is today, the believer has the same Holy Spirit that the early church had. That the believer today has been commissioned just like the early church has been commissioned. That it's not over, that there's still work to be done, and that the Lord will use us and He allows us to be used in such a way. So as we conclude the book of Acts, we know that it's not concluded in our lives. Amen? Let's start reading verse 1 of chapter 28. Now after we were brought safely through, remember what took place, uh, last chapter we read, Paul's on his way from Caesarea to Rome, and they're on this boat, and of course they travel when it's not the safest time of the year. It was autumn, winter, kind of turning winter, and it was the harshest time to sail. And so as they go out, they get shipwrecked, and that's where we left is that there's a promise from God that no one was going to perish, but the boat was going to be destroyed. And so they were left shipwrecked. And so they come, and um, as it says, they were brought safely uh, to the land, and they're on Malta. So we're taking off there. Verse 2, Now the native people showed an unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire of viper, came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. 
And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And they were waiting for him to swell up and, or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, which I'm curious if they were just staring at him like, <laughs> all right, you know. No, they saw no misfortune come upon him, and they changed their minds, and they said he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man on the island of the island named Pubulus, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. We'll stop there. So here we see Paul's detour that God has where instead of Rome they land on the island of Malta and we see a couple things taking place if you're taking notes write this down number one uh, you're always on mission you're always on mission the storm was God directed it wasn't an accident Remember, we talked about God's sovereignty, a big theme through the book of Acts. Well, actually through the whole Bible. But, but as we see this, uh, God sovereignly directed and moving and working and leading and Paul going through that shipwreck. And I see, we see in hindsight that a lot of this was really God revealing His glory and power and using Paul in different ways. And we sometimes don't see that when we're in the midst of a storm. Uh, we don't always see that what God's doing in that moment, but obviously we're reading after the fact. And we're like, look what God did. God showed His grace even in this moment. You're like, how can he, God show His grace? I mean, they were shipwrecked. But God showed His grace to Paul and to the rest of the shipwrecked crew by the kindness of the natives of Malta. God showed His grace towards the people of Malta too, where now they got to hear the Gospel. And so we see God's hand in this. And I think there's two different ways that we look at this, which is, could be true of any of our circumstances. One, you could be angry at the circumstances and or at God. God shipwrecked me. God had me go through this. Ugh. Or you could look at it as an extension of His grace to see how He could be glorified. Where we don't know exactly the why, but we know that God's doing something. They landed on shore safely, 276 people. And the phrase used of native people basically was referring to those who weren't Greek in culture, but the island was Phoenician in origin. Uh, those were seafaring people, and their roots grow deep into seafaring. Like they, they were sailors back in the day to where Paul was in the first century. And they may have spoken some Greek, but their primary native language was not. And so thus they're called native people of Malta. And here these people showed kindness and compassion to this group of shipwrecked people. They made a fire to get them warm, as it was, you know, that time of year was colder. Plus it was raining, and they needed to get warm. So they showed kindness by doing this. And I'm very thankful for how God uses even non-believers to show kindness to us at times. Again, the extension of His grace. And notice Luke says they showed us unusual kindness which almost kind of refers to like a God-directed kind of prompting. 
to take care of these people. Now, Paul also was not only shipwrecked, but he went from bad to worse because he was bitten by a snake, a viper, a poisonous snake, one that he should have died from, right? And that's why the native people were watching him. Like, well, we know that that's a poisonous snake. He should die. And Paul, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, I love how Luke highlights it because it's almost like he just like, shook it off. Like, all right, come on, really? Like, do you know what I've been through? And then he, he like, shook it off like it was nothing. But I, and I'm like, but God, he's been through so much already. He went from this to that. I, I don't know if you ever feel like, how much can someone endure? Have you ever said, like, how much can I endure? That you go from one thing to, like, it seems like it just goes from bad to worse, or one thing after another, or you say, when it rains, it pours. Like, sometimes that's how life feels. But for Paul, it wasn't this complaining that came on. Like, he just shook off the snake. And look at how God used that. There's some assumptions we can have here. But I want to say that, one, if you want to see someone who could say life was not easy, it would be Paul. And yet, he also knew that life was not one of ease. He wasn't called to an easy life. He was called to an obedient life. The believer today, for myself and for you, I want to tell you, and I tell my kids this too, we're not called to an easy life. We're not. We're called to an obedient life. And did you know an obedient life isn't always easy? But yet, when you obey, you see God's goodness in a great way that you're like, oh, I'm so glad. And we see that with Paul. Christian, God has called you not to an easy life. No. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 14 about if you want to be a disciple, a follower of Him. He says, if anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. That we need to count the cost. Willing to take on and pursue the cross in a sense. Carry your cross, as Jesus would say. We must remember that we can glorify God in all things. And that means even snake bites. Yes. The native people actually thought of this as some sort of cosmic justice. If you notice what they said is, man, he must have done something bad. He must have been a murderer. The ESV capitalizes the word justice. The NIV adds goddess justice. And this is referring to, yes, the, God, the Greek mythology, goddess justice is where they're like, oh, this is divine or from her. And so that's what they were referring to as that this must be because Paul is a murderer. And actually, um, the, the theology or Greek mythology always has snake bites with someone who's a murderer. Like that's how they connect. They're like, so thus... He was bitten by a snake. He must be a murderer. And so that's where they came up with that conclusion. It'd be equivalent today if someone said, well, that's karma. Or that's or getting what you deserve. The truth is, and also like Job's friends, they said to Job in the Bible, we see that he must have done something against God to get what is happening to him. And there's that thinking that happens that, well, because of this, you must have done that. But let's pause really quick and look at how the Bible says, uh, what about every single person on earth? What do we deserve? Hell. 
God's wrath. For all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. We all deserve something way worse. But it's God's grace and His working that we can see Him. And so in this moment where they kind of have these two extremes, they're like, oh man, He must have done something bad. And they're waiting. Waiting? Well, that's odd. He's not dead. And they're like, He must be a God. So now they went to the extreme of divine. And so what an opportunity. Now, the text, Luke just kind of highlights things. We don't get conversations. But knowing Paul, knowing his past, and we can kind of um, deduct a little bit of where he was in the past and how he would use situations, we know that he shared the Gospel. We know that he used that opportunity most likely to say, well, I'm not divine, but let me tell you about the living God. And so we see that God's using him in a way, or so much so that now uh, the native people, the chief of the land, he has a father who's sick, Paul is used to heal him, and then uh, the rest of the, the, they're bringing other people who are sick, and he's healing them. And so look, look at this as God's providence in Paul's life. Something that was bad, that got worse, to God being glorified, to the gospel going out to native people. God sovereignly had this incident take place because of His grace towards the islanders to be able to be witness to by, uh, and seeing the miracle used by Paul on the island of Malta. God used Paul even in these circumstances weren't ideal. And the text doesn't record a sermon, but we know that he was used. And the idea that I would say is Paul always knew that he was on mission. He was. Paul could have taken the back seat. You really think about it. He could have been, he could have been like, Man, okay, here I am. He could have been quiet. But yet, instead, God sovereignly allowed him in this moment to be bitten by a snake, which opened the door for gospel conversation. If I can point you to this and just have this press upon your life as it is in mine, you're always on mission. I'm always on mission. Even if you're on vacation, guess what? You're on mission. Even if you're going out just to go shopping, you're still on mission. Alyssa and I, early on, we were dating. And um, the places I could take her were like coffee shops pretty much and other things. And so it was simple, but we went and got coffee. And we're outside and we're just talking. And actually, like, I think we're having a like, pretty good conversation, a deep like spiritual conversation about our future. And I just remember these teenagers they were like maybe a year younger than us or the same age and they're just yelling at this woman like they're outside just yelling and I'm like huh it gets our attention and then the one guy says I need you to stop telling me about Jesus to this woman and so I'm like oh what's going on and Alyssa gives me this look like aren't you going to do something and I'm like looking around like what am I going to do you know and so then I'm like fine you know and I get up and I just say hey what's going on and this guy says Oh man, this woman, all the time, we're out here hanging out, and she always asks me and talks to me about Jesus, and I tell her to leave me alone. And I said, oh, well, can I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> and then it just got weird, like quiet, and he stopped, and the lady walked away, and then all of a sudden, I start telling this guy about, like, well, I believe in Christ, and let me tell you what he did. And he gets mad, he walks away, but there's this girl that somehow was hanging out, still listening to Alyssa and I talking. We shared the gospel with him. 
And it was one of those unintended things, but being ready, like we're called to be on mission. I know I've talked to some people that they say, well, I rode the bus, and guess what? I got a Jerry Anderson, for example. I remember him telling me about riding the bus and having gospel conversations because you're on a bus with people that are on a bus, and where are they going to go? <laughs> but you're on mission. That doesn't stop. Paul was shipwrecked on an island, and he was called to be a witness. Let me just clarify. What are we called to be a witness about? To who Jesus is, what Jesus said, what Jesus did. Look at them like, oh, that list isn't that big. Who Jesus is, what Jesus said, what Jesus did. And we get to share that with the world. And not only that, as we get to do that, we, we're called to make disciples in that process. Teaching people not only who and what Jesus did, but what does it look like in following after Him. That we get to point people in that direction. That, that's our mission. And we get to do that all the time. So again, we could look at that as, man, i got to mow the lawn again. Or I get to say, like, man, I get to go on that ride again. How do you respond to this? Alyssa and I, we went uh, on vacation camping in Morro Bay, which is like six hours from where we were in Riverside. And it's just one of those things to show you how, what a small world we're in. We're at this campground, and we're just like riding our bikes or walking. I can't remember what we were doing. And someone says, hey, Pastor John. And I'm like, like, where in the world would someone know me in this place six hours from our hometown? And this person's like, hey, we're camping too, and I recognize you. And I'm like, oh boy, what a small world, you know? But it became great conversations to talk about. I can think of times we went out to dinner and conversation changed and where we were talking to either people we ran into or connected to somehow or strangers. But I also could tell you times that I've neglected this too. Church, we're always on mission. See, too many Christians I feel view Sunday as a day to be on mission and in the rest of their week they get to do whatever they want. But instead we should say, well, we could do what God has called us to do and we're always on mission. You can still do things you like and still be on mission. Uh, you could do, still do things that are fun and still be on mission. You still live your life as a follower of Christ, but you just need to know that you can't separate the two. That's just what we're called to do. And really, it stems from this fact that God is a God who is, Himself is on mission. What is God's whole plan? As we read throughout Scripture that God's heart is for the redemption of mankind, and we see that through the pages of Scripture. Remember, this is one that I'll share with you and just it's pivotal. In Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham, how did he call him? He said, yes, to be a father of many, that he'd be over a nation. But what was the intent behind it? It wasn't just like, here, let me just have you be this uh, beginning of this nation. He said this, that he would call him to be a blessed, to be blessed by him, but also that he would be a blessing to other nations, that there was going to, God was going to use Abraham the seed of Abraham, the nation of Israel, as basically a conduit to who God is. As they were blessed, they would bless other nations. That was the idea, is that they're on mission. So God was using a people group to portray that. And then as you read throughout the Bible and the history of Israel and how they neglected that and fell short, and yet what God did is that's always been His heart. And so then He's like, I'm raising up this this in the new covenant, in this new people, this holy nation that involves 
not just Jews, but also involves Gentiles. Two passages I want to just highlight in the book of Isaiah. It should be on the screen. Isaiah 43, verse 10. This is a declaration of the Lord. It says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. So who's he speaking to? He's speaking to, the, to Israel as a nation. And then he's saying, there's more there, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. He's talking about the bigger picture. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. There were to be witnesses to the truth of who God is. Now Isaiah 49, verse 6, even in high, uh, highlighting the exile group, he says, it, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. But why is that? Why was he going to bring them back? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And that's what he was doing, is declaring his glory, not just to the Jews, but the whole world includes Gentiles too. That would be for those, as 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you're always on mission. You're on mission. It's not over. Number two, as we read, God fulfills his promise. Verse 11. Now after three months, we set sail on the ship that had wintered in the island, uh, a ship of Alexandria. Remember, those are the big cargo ships. They were able to have one or find one. And then it's interesting what Luke highlights here. It says, with the twin gods as a figurehead. I'll get to that in a second. Then putting into Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived in uh, Rigium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli, And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. Uh, And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. They're stranded on the island for three months we just get a few paragraphs of what took place in ministry. We don't quite know. But it's three months where they were busy, three months preparing, waiting out the winter, ready to set sail. And we see that they go to a couple places. One, uh, notice that Luke highlights that the ship had these twin gods, Castor and Pollux, which was usually used in Greek culture and Greek mythology as helpers in distress. So they were kind of usually depicted on boats or sailboats, ships like that, because they were for seamen to know like, hey, we're going to have help when there's distress. And I'm like, man, interesting that Luke highlights that. Like, that's a detail of a boat like we could have easily overlooked. But I think it was just to show like, again, the culture which put their trust in these idols and Paul and those who are believers put their trust in the living God. And he's just like, they put it there, but we know the one who will get us to Rome. The one who promised. As they arrive in Puteoli, there's believers there. And this was not due to mission work by Paul. He never visited that city. But this shows us that the reach of the gospel is spreading and that it was not just Paul doing the work, but there were other believers being sent out. Also shows you Christian hospitality. Paul didn't know them. They may have heard about Paul, but they were believers being ministered to and encouraged by other believers. 
There were other Christians spreading the gospel, being on mission, which was to, make, to be witnesses and make disciples. And here's something that just stands out one is that God is more about reaching the nations than even the most zealous or famous missionary. Did you know that? God is more zealous, more about this than even if you think of the person in your head that you would be like, man, they're up there. Like I think of Hudson Taylor, the one who started the China Inland Mission, the one who had this heart to reach the gospel, have the gospels shared in those, the, with those in China, and yet God is more zealous than even he was. God's about his mission. Remember that. The gospel's going out. And so we see that Paul arrives to Rome. Verse 16, look at that again. And when we, had, when we came into Rome, when we came into Rome, I don't wonder if there was that like relief from Paul, like we're here. I wonder if it kind of like a wave just said, man, God fulfilled his promise. Remember two different times he was told that he would go to Rome. Acts chapter 23, verse 11, that's when he was in Jerusalem, he was beaten up and about ready to be torn to pieces and the tribune came and the, they rescued him and he was visited at night by Jesus and it says that Jesus said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The second time was on, we just looked at when they were on board the boat and Luke's Description of it says all hope was lost. So we know that it was a dire situation. 14 days without seeing the sun or the stars. They didn't eat. Tossed to and fro. I don't even know if they could eat. They may have just been seasick. But it was bad. And what did he tell them? He told them, Paul said, that very night there stood before me an angel of God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Both those reminders were in pivotal moments in Paul's life. Both were in hard moments in Paul's life. One where he was beaten and almost torn apart. Maybe he was questioning why he even went to Jerusalem. He should have listened to those who told him not to go. And yet, maybe he was questioning. We don't know. Maybe he wasn't. But it was a reminder of God's promise. On board that boat when he's like, but God, you told me, and here we are. We're gonna, it looks like we're all hope is lost. What's going on? And God reminded him of his promise. And what do we see? God fulfilled his promise. Did you know God's going to fulfill his promise with us? He will. He will see us through. The one who said he began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I do believe that. Sometimes, though, we do have those different ways to get about shipwrecks, bitten by snakes, and I hope not literally, but we go through those things in life. But he'll see us through. And God reminds us of those promises actually all the time and also at the right time. It could be just when you have your quiet time in the morning when you read the Bible. It could be through a conversation with your Christian friend. It could be listening to just even hearing worship music in the background and you're like, oh man, and it just hits you. It could be a passage of Scripture that just comes up to your mind. I'm just so thankful that God does remind us of His promises. And he does that, and they're sweet. And so God reminds us and fulfills his promises. And so church, that's the great thing, is he'll see us through. He will, to the very end. 
Number three, as we know that we're called to be always on mission, that is to be a witness and make disciples. Verse 17, after three days, he called together local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, this is what he does. Remember, he's on house arrest, and so he can't go to the synagogue, but he's asking the synagogue to come to him. That's what he's doing. That was Paul's mindset. Whenever he went anywhere, if they had a synagogue, he would go there first. So it's kind of, he's like, I can't do that, but I'm going to have them come to me. And he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to me, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For this regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Verse 23. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to, to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's hearts, heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. As we see Paul doing what he normally would do, he goes to the Jews first. He shares with them about the hope of Israel. That's found in Christ. He shows with them how the law points to Jesus and the prophets. He wants to convince them. That's the term that's saying like he's saying, I'm compelling you with the evidence to say, look at this truth of the hope that's found in Christ. But notice what they said that we want to hear. They were curious, but Christianity already had a reputation of somewhat. Instead, in verse 22, we would like to hear more about this from regarding this to the sect but we know that everywhere is spoken against. Meaning, there's some conflict. The gospel message does do that. It is offensive to some. And so they're ready to hear. But as they were arguing, and some they argued and they left after he said this, he quoted from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Now, really quick, what does verse 8 say? Well, I have it, on, it should be on screen. But this is a verse that we say a lot and know a lot and use a lot to respond to the call that God has us. But it's interesting in context what he was called to. So he says, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And what does Isaiah say? 
Here I am, Lord, send me. But then 9 and 10, he says, I'm going to send you to a people that's not going to want to listen. A people who will not want to respond. They won't want to be healed. Isaiah was called to go to the Israelites, the people of Israel, to share about the hope that's found in him, and yet they did not want to hear. Can you imagine if your mission was like, hey, I'm going to send you there, but no one's going to respond to you. They're going to actually reject what you have to say. That your ministry is going to be basically a knoll on paper. That you're going to be like, man, I'm doing this, and it seems like for what? But yet, Isaiah still was called to go. And he went. Paul said, hey, I'm bringing this out before you because even the prophet Isaiah spoke about this and this is what you're doing. And thus, the Gospel now is going to the Gentiles. Like, hey, I went to you first, but yet they wouldn't listen. And then as we close, as we see that he remained there two years at his own expense, notice the description that is given of Paul. He says, he proclaiming the kingdom of God, he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. He had boldness and he did it without hindrance. And lastly, number, was it four? There's still work to be done. Church tradition says that Paul was beheaded in Rome as he was executed. Um, but as we see that he had those two years that Luke is recording here that were open, what did he do? He still knew that there was work to be done. He shared the gospel. God is not done with you. Uh, I'm going to at this time ask uh, Kim and uh, Colby and if there's someone to help them, they're going to pass out these notes. And while they're doing that, I'll just kind of wrap things up. But I want you to look at these verses when they come and they'll be uh, ones we'll look at together. So I'll wait, but let me ask you this question. Maybe you're looking at this like the lawn thing, like it's a hindrance, like, oh, are we ever going to finish this? Will this ever stop? Man, I don't know how much longer. Or you could look at it as like my kids and I going on the ride again. Yes, we get to do it again. One more time. And when we went through that second time, we were hoping that that worker would still be there. She switched out already, so we couldn't ask to go a third time, <laughs> but we would have. We have been like, can we do it one more time? God has called you as a follower of Christ to be on mission. It's not over. I bet you could think of family members that don't know the Lord. Maybe neighbors. Maybe you need to meet more neighbors too. Or the people groups around the world that have not heard the Gospel. It's not over. Will you look at those passages of Scripture with me? Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 through 38 says this. Jesus said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Are you a laborer? Matthew chapter 28. Verses 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe, observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Are you called to make disciples? Are you called to be a witness? Jesus, our precious Savior, who knew no sin, yet became sin for you and I, the one who gave his life freely as the ultimate perfect sacrifice. What we deserve for our sin is God's wrath. We deserve hell. We're guilty. But yet Jesus took our place on the cross. Our precious Savior who endured the cross, despising the shame, rose from the grave three days later, conquering sin and death. Jesus is alive. The greatest news that you and I have not only heard and I pray have received and responded to, but is that same news that we get to share. To be a witness is to describe those things that we've seen and what we've heard. Has your life been changed by the Gospel? I pray it has. Because if your life has been changed by the Gospel, you get to be a witness to how, who Jesus is what Jesus said, and what Jesus did. Thank you for listening, and if you would like more information, please visit rcbcbellingham.com.